So in 2009, baby researchers in France and Germany discovered, get this, that newborn babies cry in a distinctive way that shows that they're trying to mimic the sound of the mother. Newborn babies cry in a particular way that mimics the sound of their mother, all the way down to certain types of sounds and the intonation of their mother's voice. Pretty amazing, isn't it? By the way, parenthetically, one interesting thing that temporarily takes us off topic a bit, but is worth noting while we're talking about the miracle of babies. One researcher said that this finding that they mimic the sounds of their mother, quote, suggests that they are producing sounds they have heard in the womb, and that means learning, and that it is not an innate behavior. Hmm. Sounds strangely like saying that babies are not merely chemical accidents of nature, but actual human beings that learn and who should never be murdered in the womb. What do you know? Craziest thing, this silly Bible full of anti-scientific myths may be onto something when it says that God created humans with worth and dignity beyond their modern man-made measures. So anyway, back to babies. And I know this is going to sound like a bit of a weird transition, but just like babies cry in a way that mimics their mother's sounds, God's own children cry out to him as father. Just look at what the apostle Paul says in Galatians 4 verse 6. He says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This cry for help from God is what identifies us as one of his own. Paul says, it's how we know that we are one of his. Now, this idea of being a son of the Father, this is an important point for Paul to make at this point in Galatians because the Galatian Christians were doubting their status as sons and daughters in the family. They were doubting their position as as inheritors of Christ's achievements for them. Is this real? Am I legit saved? Why should I trust my salvation to anyone other than myself? Can it really be as easy as faith in Christ alone? They were doubting because the Judaizers who had infiltrated their ranks, they were countering Paul's gospel of free grace. And the Judaizers were saying that in order to be a real Christian, you had to follow all the civil and ceremonial laws that were handed down to Moses, especially the laws about circumcision. Because up to that point, that was the mark. Circumcision was the mark, at least for the Jewish men. That was the official mark the outward sign and seal of being in the people of God. So, Paul reminds them that, Galatians 3, verse 29, as we studied last week, that if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Then he says this, heirs according to promise. Heirs according to promise. Romans 8.14 says that children of God are fellow heirs with Christ. Titus 3.7 says that being justified by God's grace makes us heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So if, as Paul says here in Galatians 3.29, if you are Christ's by faith through the waters of baptism, then in keeping with the plan of God all along to call you to himself, 
You are in the family. You are one of Abraham's offspring. You are an heir according to promise. So, Paul says, relax. Don't listen to those Judaizers and the legalists and the fundamentalists who who impose unbiblical requirements to the process of coming to Christ. Listen to me, Paul says. Listen to me here in Galatians and rest in the fullness of being adopted into the family. If you are Christ's, not according to your ability to live up to the law, but by faith in God's promise that Christ already fulfilled the law for you, then boom, you are an heir according to promise. So, in our passage today, in Galatians 4, 1-7, Paul elaborates and he clarifies further this idea of being an heir according to promise by illustrating by illustrating how Christ frees his people from slavery to the law so that he can adopt them as sons and daughters in his family with all the consequent rights and privileges. This is a beautiful and a precious truth for the child of God today. Christ frees his people from slavery to the law in order to adopt them into his family and to give them all the consequent rights and privileges. So here's how this works. Look at our passage in Galatians chapter 4. This is where Paul explains and illustrates how both Jews and Gentiles become heirs according to promise through Christ. Look at verse 1. He says, I mean, expounding on this idea of heir according to the promise, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, a minor, underage, then the heir is no different from a slave, though he is technically the owner of of everything. So, to be an heir of promise works like this. As long as the heir of the family estate is a minor, even if on paper he owns it all, as long as he is underage, the heir is functionally no different than a slave. Why? Because, verse 2, because he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So, it was common in that day for the heir of a wealthy estate to be, to be under the care of a guardian and a manager who was employed as a slave by the patriarch of the state, the, the father of the heir. And, and the job of this, this guardian or, or manager was to teach the heir, not just how to run things and not just about the importance of stewarding the father's estate, but even sometimes also educational subjects like rhetoric and philosophy and math and history. And, and they would do so with the heir, watching over the heir and teaching him until a time appointed by the father when the heir had come of age. So here in verse one, when Paul says that the heir was no different than a slave until the time appointed by the father, until such time as the heir came of age, he meant it. The heir was under the tutelage and responsibility of the, of the guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So Paul applies this real world illustration about inheritance and being an heir, applies this to the Galatians in verse three. He says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, when we were minors, when we were underage, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So whether a Jew or a Gentile, 
before becoming a Christian, we were being led by sort of the elementary school basics, Paul says here. We were thinking and we were acting like school children under the tutelage of guardians and managers because, because all we knew were the ABCs, or in this case with Greek, the ABGs, the alpha, beta, gammas. So, Bible nerd joke. So Paul is using this idea of the elementary principles, the, the basics of the ABCs, to draw a connection with how these Judaizers were using the law. He's saying that by insisting on circumcision and the Old Testament civil and ceremonial laws, the Judaizers were trying to keep the Galatian Christians enslaved under those guardians and those teachers, enslaved to those elementary principles of the world and keeping them there. But that's not how it works in the family of God, Paul says. Eventually you grow past these basics. Eventually you stop being a theoretical heir who was enslaved because you were being taught the basics of the law by guardians and managers, and you grow up to become a full son in the family. And how God does this is the coming of Christ. Verses four through five here are a profoundly compact summary of the work of God the Father and the coming of Christ to achieve salvation for us and to offer us a place in the family that takes us beyond those, those elementary principles, those, those ABCs. Read through them together with me here once, and then we'll unpack them a smidge. It says this, verses four and five. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now start in again at verse 4. Paul says, referring to the coming of Christ, But when the fullness of time had come, like the father set the time for the son to receive the inheritance in verse 2, at exactly the right time, keep reading, God sent forth his son, meaning God the Father sent his son from heaven where God the Father lives in his fullness. And he also, keep reading, he was born of woman, born of an ordinary human woman. So he was sent from God and born of woman, which means Paul is saying that the coming of Christ is the God-man, fully divine and fully human, which is important because <laughs> as he was, keep reading, as he was born under the law, meaning he, the God-man, Jesus, was subject to the same standards of perfect obedience to the law of God as any other human, yet because he is sent from God, born of woman, when he perfectly fulfilled it, it counted to accomplish two things that relate to us in verse 5. First, to redeem those who were under the law, to buy us back and to atone for our sins, to make up for all those sins and our imperfections when we were under the law before he came, and so that we might receive adoption as sons, so that we would have all the, in full, all the full inheritance rights of, of sonship. So think about the argument that Paul is making here. Follow closely here because because there's a lot of mind-blowing stuff here. This is what Paul is saying to us so far in these verses. Here's what I mean by calling you an heir of promise. I mean that there was a time, 
when before you inherited all that the Father has for you. Even though in Christ you had the status of owner, in truth, you were no different than a slave because you couldn't do any better than the ABCs and you were being kept there. But at the exact right time, God the Father sent his son, fully God and fully man, which means that he, like you, was born under the curse of the law, but that he, unlike you, fulfilled it perfectly and obeyed it entirely. And so now, because of his coming, that righteousness that he achieved before God the Father and in respect to the law is not only your righteousness, but the riches of his kingdom are yours. His kingdom is your kingdom. To be, as Paul has said in 329 and explained here in 4, 1 through 5, to be an heir of promise is to have it all because of his promise. So, if you're wondering today, is that me? Am I an heir? The answer is verse 6. Look at this. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So, now the adoption that was accomplished for us by the son is applied to our hearts by the spirit. And we see here in this verse that all three persons of the Trinity are actively involved in our salvation. God the Father has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So if you hear the Spirit of God in your heart as Father, then you're a son. And again, like we said last week, Paul isn't saying anything about becoming a male heir. He's using the concept of sonship that was common in that day to refer to the one who received all the rights and privileges of inheriting the Father's State. So, so if you hear the Spirit of God in your heart as Father, then you're a son. Think about that. Let me say that again because it's so very important. It's profoundly important to understand the force of what Paul is saying here. He's saying that if you are in Christ, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then what that means is that the very creator who spoke the entire universe into being with a word and whose very existence keeps it all together and who sustains our every breath, that's the one who spoke into your heart. And if you hear the spirit of God in your heart as father, then you are one of his children. But... Paul qualifies that cry here a bit differently than we often like to think about it. We often like to talk about the, the still small voice of God speaking in our hearts or something nice and manageable that doesn't cause too much personal drama. But, but the word that, that Paul used here for crying in verse six is not, not crying like a little sad whimper or a mild grumble or grumble or something like that. This crying is the all-out guttural wail of a baby full-on screaming for food like it's going to die if someone doesn't help me get that food this exact instant. You know what I mean, right, parents? If someone doesn't get this for me and take care of me now, I'm going to die. That's how babies cry out. So, Paul isn't describing here 
a nice and manageable crying out that is sort of drama-free and this coming-to-Jesus experience where the person receives him after making a, a calm and rational and a well-reasoned empirical argument of one's need for outside help. No. Paul says this is the cry of the heart that is wailing like a sinner who knows they're lost and hopeless without a Savior. And then Paul summarizes. Look at this in verse 7. He says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. What he's saying here is that for those who are in Christ and are heirs according to promise, he's saying that under the law, though we looked like slaves, we were actually sons. And you're no longer a slave because you've grown up. And if you have Christ, then, then you're a son. You're a son who is, look at the last three words, who is an heir through God. If you're a son, if you've been adopted, if you hear Christ in you by the Spirit and you have him by faith, if your baptism confirms outwardly what has happened inwardly and his baptism and resurrection are yours because of that response of faith, then you are an heir through God. You are an heir through God. Your freedom from slavery to sin and your confidence to live as free didn't come from you. It came from the Father himself. Because in Jesus, and by the Spirit speaking to your heart, God the Father has made you his own. Made you his own, and you're part of his forever family. So the other day, I was, I was with our eight-year-old daughter, Emery. Uh, and in case you don't know, she, she doesn't have our DNA. And so I was uh, just laying on the bed with her, and I was holding her in my arms, and I was looking into her eyes, and I was trying to have this, you know, special dad moment with her on the way to bed, right? Like, those moments are always sort of fleeting with a child like this who uh, seems to have a 24-hour IV drip of Red Bull. So, anyway, I was talking a little with her, uh, actually about her adoption story, and I was talking about how God, God sent her to us as our special little girl, and how we will always be her mommy and daddy, and she will always be a Wakefield, and how she will inherit all of our money and our stuff and our kingdom, and how I was sorry for how pathetic it would be in a very small amount, and she was likely going to have to take out student loans. I'm just kidding about all that inheritance and money stuff, even though much of that may be true. I didn't say that. I was talking about who she was as a Wakefield and, and one of ours, and as I was thinking back on that moment, every time I reflect on moments like that, uh, those precious and fleeting little moments with her, I always think back to the day when we, when we first officially got her as a Wakefield. Because for me, though there were one and three quarters years before that, this one particular moment on that day stands out. There's this one particular moment where for me, it all comes together as sort of a, an officially done deal and where she became part of our family. In the document that the judge signed, it says this, 
It is therefore ordered, adjudged, and decreed that Emery Noel Wakefield is hereby declared the adopted child of Scott Conrad Wakefield and Doggy Noel Wakefield, and the relationship of parent and child is hereby established with all the rights and privileges incident thereto, including the rights of inheritance. Petitioners, that's us, mom and dad, petitioners shall have the exclusive care, custody, and control of said child, free from the claims or hindrances of others. And the petitioners shall be responsible for the child's maintenance, care, education, and support. The name of the female child is hereby changed from blank to Emory Noel Wakefield and a new birth certificate shall be issued in such name. By the way, we're accepting donations for the aforementioned maintenance, uh, care, education, and support. Just click on the link below. Just kidding. Not really. Uh, when the judge signed that statement and put his official seal on that document, I remember thinking, she's a Wakefield. She's ours. No one can take her from us. Friends, if you're in Christ, then rest in the affection of a father who has done more than enough to make you part of his family. Rest in the affection of a father who was never depending on your perfect adherence to his law, but who was always depending on his own promise to deliver. Sit back, relax, breathe and quiet your heart in the comfort of knowing that exactly the right time, God the Father sent his son, who was fully divine and fully human, born under the law, perfectly fulfilling its every demand for those captive to sin, so that you would be brought back to perfect relationship with him, so that you would love nothing more than doing everything he asks and stewarding his kingdom faithfully, and that someday you will enjoy the fullness of his riches and glory. So friends, today we end with a simple takeaway application and question, depending on your relationship to God the Father. If you are, if you are an heir through God, spend just a few quiet moments thanking him for his grace and resting in his peace. And if not, ask yourself this question. What is the prideful thing in you that keeps you from crying out to him as father? Friend, claim. Claim for the first time or reclaim for the thousandth time your inheritance as a child of the father who makes you his heir. He loves you. He is your father and he has adopted you as his own through the perfect and all sufficient work of Jesus. Father in heaven, we call you father because we are your children. And we trust that in your wisdom, at just the right time, through the coming of your son, Jesus, who was fully divine and fully human, so that his perfect adherence to the law under which we were cursed would stand for us as righteousness we couldn't earn for ourselves, but as the righteousness that you give to us so that we could be a part of your family and we could enjoy all the rights and privileges that you've won for us through your son, Jesus. That's amazing truth, Lord. 
and it defines who we are. It's our new identity. It's who we are in you. And we love you for it. We want to live our lives as a response. Speak to hearts, confirming for us that our need for you is something that cries out so that we would repent and continue to give ourselves to who you've called us to be and who you've made us in your son Jesus as an heir of promise, an heir through your work for us. It's in Jesus' perfect and holy name we pray.